Okay, before we get into a message, um, take a moment, stand up, greet someone around you, just stretch your legs for a moment, 30 seconds. Respect social distancing, but you can still like say, hello. You don't have to stand, but might as well. Hey, Rick, before the message, do you want to come up and do the offering? Just pray for the offering. All right. Uh, Just before Jeff comes up for the message, we'll just pray for the offering. If you um, give to this church, we want to thank you. All the funds fuel the ministries and the mission of this church um, in Nelson, in our community, and globally. Um, And uh, you can give in a variety of different ways, in person or cash or check. There's a little offering plate in the back on the windowsill or via e-transfer to donations at nelsoncovenant.com. So let's pray. God, we thank you that you are always so generous with us. And we thank you that you provide for us uh, meaningful work, income, and um, provision. Help us, Lord, to learn to be generous and to submit all that we have to your kingdom as well. Would you bless all the gifts that um, and the givers that give to this church? Bless the ministries that that it funds, and Lord, would you transform those funds into meaningful kingdom work. Pray this in your name with thanksgiving. Amen. Okay, so a number of months and months ago, maybe even a year or so ago now, when I was at the gym, I, we do these things called AMRAPs. It's at as many reps as possible in a time frame. And there's a 10-minute AMRAP on the board, which is fairly comfortable. It's not a huge amount of time, but it's not a sprint either. So you kind of see the exercises. You mentally have a bit of a game plan in terms of how hard or uh, you need to go to pace yourself to make sure you get through 10. And um, doing my thing, getting through it, you know, 9.55, 56, 57, try and get one or two more reps, pushing it hard the last 30 seconds, you want to end strong, 10 minutes, drop the barbell, just gassed, right, leaning over and like, ooh, and then um, I don't hear the beep, like there's normally a beep to signal the end, like stop, there's no beep, and out of the corner of my eye, I can see everybody else in the room 
continuing to move and do their thing. And I look up and I'm like, yeah, it's 10 minutes. So did I get like the Keener class? Everyone's just going above and beyond. And then I looked at the board and I walked towards the board because I wasn't wearing my glasses. And I moved towards it and I realized it was a 16-minute AMRAP, not 10. And my stomach just dropped because, you know, it's one thing to go into something having an expectation set that it's going to last this long, this is what you have to endure. But man, immediately when I saw that six and realized it wasn't a zero, a whole new level of mental battle began. Because mentally, I had just moved into like, I'm done mode. I get to rest now. I get at least two minutes or three minutes before we do something else. And now everyone's still in the groove and I've taken my momentum from 100 down to zero and now I've got to figure out how to bring it back again. And that's really, really challenging. So in this moment, you're like, how do I reset? How do I resume? Because I was only pacing myself for 10 minutes and the only thing that worked for me in that moment was to not beat myself up for misreading the board not thinking about the fact that I had really paced myself for 10 minutes, so I kind of not left a lot in the tank, so how am I gonna make six minutes? I just tried to say, okay, what's the next exercise I need to do? Like just what's the next thing? And not even like I have to do 10 or 15 reps, just like one rep at a time, and just sort of, I gotta fixate on something very simple right in front of me, and if I just do that, six minutes will go by really, really quickly. And I thought about that experience in light of other experiences that I've had recently because kind of we've been running this pandemic race and most of the signaling, whether or not it was stated explicitly, a lot of the signaling from our provincial government and health authorities was in July, the masks are coming off, things are opening up, we're kind of, no one said the pandemic's over, but it certainly felt like we're on the other side of it and summer's gonna be really awesome and we're gonna be able to travel and connect and people were doing that. And it sort of led everyone, and certainly myself, to start thinking, okay, yeah, like the fall can be a bit more of a resumption of some normality, and maybe by November or December, our church is sort of back to what's regular and normal for us. But then late July, early August, Delta emerges, and COVID kind of in earnest comes to Nelson in this area and begins to affect things. And it's kind of a fresh round of mandates and restrictions and new policies in place. And man, I, I just felt super, super gutted. I had that moment where I was like, I thought we were kind of like done. I was ready to sort of transition into the next thing. And now it's like, nope, there's more time on the clock. Keep lifting, keep going. And there's a moment where I'm like, for real? Like, oh my goodness, I, I've done a lot to get here. I've exerted a lot of effort. And I don't know if I have what it takes for another year of this. And I remembered my experience in the gym and I remembered how important it was to not get overwhelmed by the timeline and getting mad at people and blaming myself or blaming the public health authorities or blaming COVID or playing victim, but saying, I gotta fixate on something. Super simple, really small, 
today, not worry about the month, not worry about the year, not worry about grand ministry plans. Really lean into, God, give me today my daily bread. What's the next thing I have to lift? What's the next phone call I need to make? What's the next thing I need to plan? I think a lot of us, I, 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 I hope we're realizing that this race that we're on through this pandemic, it's not, it's not really near being over. And so much of this pandemic has been managing expectations. And I was certainly seeing the timeline of the fall as a time of kind of reconstruction. And yet, if I'm honest with myself, I'd love to be wrong, but I think where we are right now is probably where we're going to be for the entire school year, likely. Things might get worse. I don't think they're going to get better. And realizing that and leaning into that and accepting that and at least preparing as if that will be the case was helpful for me. Um, but it also called to mind a story, this experience of, are we almost out? Oh, no, seriously? More? And that was the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. He's sold by his brothers, taken as a slave into Egypt. He's bought by Potiphar, who's the captain of, of Pharaoh's guard. He's placed in a service. We, don't, we aren't given uh, precise timelines, but t- uh, soon after that, he actually proves himself as someone who's an excellent manager, and he's placed in management and leadership over everything in Potiphar's house. Uh, that's when Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. He refuses her advances. Uh, she frames it and accuses him of trying to sexually assault her. He gets thrown into prison unjustly. Time passes. Again, we're not really told how long he's in prison for, but it's enough time that he grows an influence within the prison. They realize he's a good manager, and he's actually put in charge of all of the other prisoners except for the prison warden. He uh, meets a, a baker and a cupbearer. They share his dreams. They share their dreams with him. He's given insight by God into what their dreams mean, and the cupbearer's dream is that in three days he's going to be restored to his position. He's going to get back to life as normal. He's going to get to move on. And he's thrilled by this, obviously. And these guys are in prison. And Joseph's like, hey, when that happens, when you go back to life as normal, will you remember me? Remember this. And tell Pharaoh that I did this. And then I'm, I'm languishing in this prison. And it's not my fault. I've done nothing wrong. I was sold into slavery. And all these terrible things happened to me. So will you remember to pass along that I was the one that interpreted your dream? And the cupbearer forgets. And Joseph stays in prison for two more years. And I thought about that, because you're like, if you're Joseph, and you're like, this is it. Like, here's this dream. God gave me insight into it. Oh, I can totally see where everything's going. I'm going to tell the cupbearer. He's going to be like, that's amazing. He's going to go to Pharaoh and other people and say, this is amazing, but you know what? I can't credit myself with where I am. You should go talk to this guy, Joseph. And then they're going to find out that I can interpret dreams, and God's going to spring me out of this pit. It's going to be awesome. And it's just like radio silence for two years. That's a long time. We haven't even been through this pandemic in two years. And ancient prisons, just as a frame of reference, they're not as cushy as modern ones. Two years probably felt like a lifetime. And so imagine how disappointing it is for Joseph to realize, okay, I, I, you know, a week goes by, no news. Two weeks goes by, no news. A month, a year. Brutal, difficult. 
So what does Joseph do when he realizes that that kind of immediate rescue isn't coming? That his prison sentence, in a sense, isn't coming to an immediate end? What do we do when you have that experience of realizing, oh, I thought this was just a 10-minute AMRAP, but it's actually 16 minutes. I thought I was pretty much done this race. I was getting ready. I was kind of anticipating reorganizing my life with COVID in the rearview mirror, and now it's still here, and maybe even more of a threat than it was before. And what do we do when we haven't paced ourselves for that kind of long journey? We were just pacing ourselves to get to this summer or this fall, and now we realize that's not sufficient. This is where the habit of fixing our eyes on Jesus, I think, will mean the difference between spiritual vibrancy and life and death, whether we do it or not. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, he scorned its shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And what I want to place before us this morning is some very practical, how do we do that? Because if I said, should Christians fix their eyes on Jesus, you're going to nod your head and say, of course. But I want to move us into, how do we do that, though? And how do we do that when we're feeling tired? And how do we do that when we're feeling angry and frustrated? And maybe the way that we have fixed our eyes on Jesus, maybe they aren't connecting with us in the same way. So how do we come up with new avenues through which to deepen our walk with Christ. This is a text that calls us to discipleship. That's a word we use a lot at our church, and I never want that church to lose its edge because it doesn't mean mere belief, as if, hi, I'm Jeff, I have a worldview, I believe a lot of things about a lot of stuff. Over here in the religious part of my uh, understanding of life and my worldview, I have these beliefs believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I should go to church, I should, you know, try and do, you know. Discipleship is different. Discipleship is a worldview where I go into all of life wanting to learn what it means to honor God in everything big and small, all the way down to whether I eat, whether I drink, whatever I do, what I do with my body, what I do with my time, what I do with my money, how I move into and through my workday or my studies, how I use downtime, um, what I'm choosing for recreational purposes, what I'm watching, what I'm listening to, how I'm engaging, all of it comes back to, is this bringing honor to Jesus? Am I growing and expanding my capacity to love God, love other people? Am I allowing God to do a work in me through these things? Here are some things that I invite you to think about doing which might help you in this season Fix your eye on Jesus. I'm going to list a number of things. I'm not asking you to adopt them all. I'm asking you to be attentive to one or two that maybe God's kind of lays in their heart and says, oh, I think that could be helpful. I knew about that, but I've kind of not thought about it for a while, and I certainly don't practice it, or I've never heard about that before. I'm interested in taking that up during this time. So number one, every month I'm going to be putting before us a community discipleship challenge. I've been doing that for a number of months. I did it again this month with the Proverb Challenge. Do that. Do that with us. 
engage, share with other people in the church what you're learning about. They're easy, they're accessible, they're meant for everybody to get involved, and we're going to be doing one each month. That's an awesome way to build community and to be learning and growing together, even if we're not always connecting in person or on a Sunday morning. If you think about the, the domain in our life of relationships, um, this is an awesome time to be investing in deeper connections with other people in the church, with other family members, friends, people who God has placed in our life. This is a really strategic time to be investing in those relationships. Many of us are um, not as busy as we normally would have been heading into the fall. We have margins to connect with people. And so we should be looking to invest in some kind of a small group. It could be an official church small group. It could be a three-to-one group where you gather with a few Christians two hours, one hour a month. Next week, I'll be advertising some opportunities within our church to do those things, connecting in our Zoom Thursday night discussions, getting together intentionally with someone over coffee, not just to chew the fat over politics or what's happening in your life, but to actually share prayer requests and pray for each other. Praying for other people. I think it would be awesome if everybody in our church got the directory and every one or two days you just picked a person and you prayed for them and then you sent them like a little email or note. You're like, Jeff, I don't even know a lot of people in the directory. Who cares? Do you think someone's going to get offended if they said, hey, I was praying in the directory Sorry, your name. I don't think we've ever really met or whatever, but like, I just want you to know I was praying for you. Hope you have a great day. No one's going to flip the table if you do that. They're going to be like, wow, that's neat. What would happen if on any given day there's 20, 30 texts, emails, Facebook messages going around of saying like, I just want you to know, you might, I might not be on your radar, but you're on my radar and I'm praying for you. Spiritual conversations with friends. Taking risks in our conversations with people to share what's really going on in our lives and hearts. In the area of soul, to be leaning into prayer and different kinds of prayer and experimenting with prayer. And processing some of the inner dynamic and drivers, right? The psalmist says, search my heart, O God. I want to understand what motivates me. And this is where, of course, like emotionally healthy spirituality can really come in. It can help me become aware of soul dynamics that get expressed in relationships. And then you can have a name for it and you can say, oh, this is what I do in these situations. Do I like that? Do I think that's healthy and good? Awesome, I'll strengthen it. But maybe I don't like it. Maybe I don't like the way that I react. Maybe I, I realize that with these kinds of people, I get immediate agitation and I want God to do a work in me so that I'm better able to love and care for them. So growing in our soulfulness so that we can Abide in Christ. Uh, maybe it's reading the Psalms every day, one Psalm every day, and using it as a prayer template, praying through those themes, learning to cast our cares on God. In the area of growing in, in the Bible, you, you know, coming to church, tracking with, you know, Proverbs or whatever we're doing on a Sunday morning and through the week, um, doing a, a, a devotional time. But I, but I think one of the things that I want to uh, remind you of is that the Bible actually promises if you fixate your mind on God's word and his promises, you'll actually experience peace. Isaiah 26.3 says, um, Isaiah speaking about God, he says, you, God, will keep in perfect peace 
everyone who trusts in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And I've had many conversations with um, uh, probably half and half believers, non-believers, but even the believers, there is a, there is a palpable sense of interior agitation and um, frustration and confusion, and it's just like their mind is going a mile a minute, and I don't sense from them much peace. And part of that is they're letting other voices be the driver, and they're fixating on other sources of information, which might not even be bad, but they're fixating on those things. And this is a really important time, especially if we're feeling tired. What does it mean to fix our eyes on Jesus? It means to fixate on his word. And especially those parts of God's word that might, be, that might really, for us personally, help connect us to Jesus. That might literally be the gospels. Could be the Psalms. But, you know, I, I'm not sure this is a great time unless you have high energy to do like some deep dive into um, obscure parts of the Bible. Stick to books, stick to the Gospels, stick to the New Testament letters, which are continually pointing you to reflect on the glory and the goodness and the power of Jesus. I think that's really important, to fix our minds and our thoughts on Christ. And how do I do that? How do I make sure that I'm prioritizing the Word of God in my life. This is what I've done over the last few months. I think it's one of the most powerful habits. I actually got it from a Trevin Wax article out of a survey of kind of the, the habits that have helped Christians the most over the pandemic. The number one habit that Christians say have helped them over the course of the pandemic is no matter what is happening in their life, the first thing they do in the morning is open up the Word of God. And he puts a little finer point on it with the, kind of the, um, the temptation of our time is Bible before screens. We don't look at Facebook. We don't click open the phone. We don't check email. We go right to the Bible, even if it's for like two or three minutes. Now, again, I'm not going to be a legalist and say every Christian should be doing that. I'm just saying right now in this time, Christians all over North America have found that to be incredibly powerful to instead of saying, yeah, at some point, or I'm going to do my devotionals after like, get up and check in with different stuff and kind of get ha- like, no, I start with God. Read a proverb, read a psalm, read a chapter of the gospel, read my devotional, Bible before screens. And then strength in the area of serving and giving. Guys, this is an awesome time. It can be very tempting during a time where it feels like parts of our church life are shut down. You know, we got to switch, we got to flip the script and say, um, yeah, we can't do certain things, but that opens up new opportunities to do all kinds of things that wouldn't have occurred to us to do before. There's all kinds of opportunity for mission, meaningful ways to serve in the church, through the church, for your neighbors, for your family members, for those in your life who are far from Christ, your schoolmates, your teammates. This is an amazing, amazing time. And if you can be a person who, in the lives of your unbelieving friends, isn't just sitting back and waiting for like things to go back to normal and just sort of treading water and looking at the clock, but instead saying, yeah, I, there's a lot about this that I find frustrating and I don't like, but I'm noticing my neighbor over here needs help. I'm going to help them. I'm sending the text. I'm the one sending the text saying, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your business. How can I help you? Do you need help over here? Do you need help with this? I've had more opportunities to send emails to non-Christian friends this last little bit because I can legitimately say, hey, how you holding up? 
You're doing okay? I want you to know. might not mean anything to you, but I want you to know I'm praying for you. No one has said, stop badgering me, pastor. Get out of here. Stop trying to shove Jesus down my throat. Get out of here, Bible thumper. Everyone's like, thank you so much. This is the nicest email I've ever gotten in the last few months. This is so great. Thank you so much. Look for opportunities. Look for opportunities to give, to invest in this church, to invest in people, a gift card, uh, flowers, uh, taking time to write a handwritten letter. I got an awesome letter in the mail randomly from Judith this week. You know, and after all that I'd been through, you know, to see what God had laid on her heart to write to me, it was just like wind in my sails. It was awesome. We can all do that. We should be looking for ways to serve each other during these times. But I, I want to give two caveats about how discipleship needs to be a little bit different over these next few months. And the first is, it's going to require proactive engagement and intentional investment. And what I mean by that is, we already feel it, but even coming on Sunday, it's not the same. Like, there's, there's not the same undercurrent that if you just kind of get into the rhythm and relax, you'll float down and you'll be fine. You've got to, like, bring something to the table. You can't wait for community to happen to you. You can't wait for an obvious opportunity to love someone else to just present itself in a perfectly packaged way on your front porch, right? You can't, you can't be passive. You can't be reactive. You have to be proactive. You have to be looking. And every day when you're, spent, when you're grounding your day with God, saying, God, I want to honor you today, would you give me eyes to see a way to serve? Would you give me eyes to see an opportunity to care for someone around me? trying new things, having new conversations, letting go of toxic attachments, whether that's toxic people or toxic influences, toxic, um, yeah, habits, right? Like Hebrews 12 says, like, throw off that which hinders and the sin. So those are two different things. You might have sin in your life that you need to get rid of, but you also could just be carrying dead weight that's not actually helpful, that's just going to continue to make you tired because it's hard to run when you're tired. So pursue community, pursue connection with God. And instead of waiting for the church to provide this or for someone to phone you or someone to write you or someone to offer to do something for you, look for opportunities to do that for other people. If, we had a, if, if everyone in our church made that mind shift to be more proactive, guys, we're going to have an amazing next few months. I mean, we really would. We have, we have an amazing, inspiring next few months. But the second caveat to that is, yes, you're going to need to be proactive. You're going to be, need to be intentional. But this is what I learned in my gym experience. You're also going to have to learn how to pace yourself. Because I do feel a burden to prepare you for the fact that, like, we're not going back to church as normal, like, by the end of October. We, we have to understand we're in this space probably for a while. And instead of belly aching about it, and focusing on what we don't have or what is different and what's changed to see the opportunities, right? Growth mindset. I don't like this. I haven't learned to like this yet. I haven't learned to see all the opportunities and the ways that God could do something different and powerful in this community yet, but I'm going to grow and I'm going to learn. And I'm going to trust that God has positioned us here for a reason as a church to do something powerful in this time. But fixing our eyes on Jesus means learning to balance engagement with recreation and, and split that word up, recreation. Doing things that actually fill us. 
that allow God to charge our batteries, right? It's sort of like the Pete Zero thing from emotionally healthy spirituality. There's a balance in the Christian life between doing for God and being with God. And traditionally, evangelical churches have given lots of opportunity to like do for God, serve, awesome, boom, 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 here's all the awesome stuff you could do. And that's awesome. But we also have to understand, especially in times where mentally and relationally and emotionally, because of everything that's happened, we're a little bit stretched and thin. We need to lean into being with God and allowing, figuring out how do I organize my days and my weeks so that I'm being genuinely refreshed. Not tuning out, not like I had a hard day, come home, open the bag of chips, turn on Netflix, three hours later, fall asleep. That's tuning out. That's shutting down. That's not recreation. But what are the things that are allowing God to recreate me, to actually refresh me? For me, I was surprised when I thought about that. Um, I'm volunteering at the Christian school this year, running a gaming club with, kid, with junior high kids because I miss hanging around junior high kids. I love junior high ministry. And I'm going to do a gaming club at the school. And... Um, Thursday, no, uh, Wednesday, 1045. But you know why? You know why I have to do a gaming club? Because you're like, Jeff, we have a junior high ministry. You should volunteer there. Yeah, tried that last year. Everything was fine. This year, Kara's like, mm, I feel, she said, I feel like uh, having my dad there as a pastor. I don't know. That feels weird now. <laughs> womp, womp. So that's, a, that's as long as it takes to go from like, that would be cool, dad, to like, could you not? So I'll, I'll pour into other junior highs. It'll be fine. I, I, I've, I've gone to therapy over the pandemic. I'm continuing to go to therapy and counseling. I find that really helpful. Journaling, reading things like emotionally healthy spirituality, scripture meditation, that's been really helpful for me. Learning to unwind. I think about stuff all the time. My mind is twisted and tight and focused, and I'm learning practices to just let go and to trust that God has this and I don't have to have everything figured out. And I've really learned to just try and get moving more. Uh, I actually stopped going to the gym a few months ago and have shifted a lot of my fitness in the area of like being outside. Smaller walks throughout the day, being out in nature, synergizing those, making those less intense, but more listening to the Bible on repeat, certain chapters, praying, but multiple prayer walks throughout the day. Get my body moving. I do, I've done a lot of sitting in my job and those have been things that I've learned over these last few months. They, they're actually recreational in my life. And they're better than just shutting down and falling asleep and waking up and then repeating that pattern. I'm learning to pace myself. I'm learning to spend time with God, to be refreshed in God in ways that are meaningful for me so that I'm not tempted to just be like, you know what? This pandemic's dragging on. I got nothing. Like, I'll throw together a sermon. I'll call some people, but I'm, I'm on. I'm going to coast for these next few months. I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, obviously don't want to go in that direction. There's a lot of people and there's a lot of pastors going in that direction because they haven't learned to pace themselves. They're running a race, but they're sprinting and they don't realize this is a marathon. This race is not over, but let's keep going. Let's run with a vision for whole life discipleship where we're really digging into what God has for us. Let's be proactive. Let's run with purpose and 
in a, in a way that's really intentional and engaged and proactive, and let's pace ourselves so that we don't burn out, that we don't give up, that we don't fade away, that we don't fall back, that we don't get off track, that we don't break down. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, so let's run the race that's marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I invite you to stand as you're able, and I'm going to send you off with a benediction. As you go, family and friends of Nelson Covenant Church, may you throw off any dead weight in your life, whether sinful or just unprofitable, that is keeping you from running your race. May you run with perseverance the race that Jesus has marked out for you to run. And may you encourage fellow runners to keep running as well. And may we all learn what it means and take another step this week to fix our eyes on Jesus. And let him be our goal and let him be our glory. And may the love of God the Father, the grace of God the Son, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with you all this week. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless. Have a great Sunday. Good to see everyone.